Break out your wireframes and heat up those Git repos. We're ready to tackle topics ranging from accessibility to front-end design, user experience, and beyond. You're listening to the Drunken UX Podcast with your hosts, Michael Feenan and Aaron Hill. And this is episode number 77. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. You're listening to the Drunken UX Podcast, and I am your host, Michael Feenan. 77, 77. Is like extra luck. We're getting there. This is this is your uh, is this the Merry Christmas episode? Uh, will Christmas happen before or out yet? Oh no, the next episode will be know. Merry Christmas. Next episode is this. This yeah. is the seventh, so the twenty first will be the next episode. So we do have one more. So this is, I guess, welcome to the miserable cold episode. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Folks, if you're enjoying the Drunken UX podcast, be sure to run by our uh, kind sponsors over at NewCloud. You can check them out at newcloud.com slash drunkenUX. That's in ucloud.com slash drunkenUX. See about getting some interactive uh, map software or, or illustrations for your uh, college or hospital or city or whatever it is you may be. Minecraft World. Minecraft World. Uh, I actually have played with the <laughs> software and put a... Uh, a role-playing game map into it as oh just nice to see, oh uh, dude that's a niche market and it works D is so hot right now it absolutely works. Yeah. i'm your other other host aaron hill and you should come check us out on instagram and facebook.com slash drunken ux or sorry twitter and facebook.com slash drunken ux and instagram.com slash drunken ux podcast and come talk with us on drunkenux.com slash discord Folks, uh, this week on the Drunken UX Podcast, we are talking about accessibility among us, CSS math functions, and preferring reduced data. This is a threefer episode. Because Christmas is coming up, we thought we would give you some presents to put under the tree. (laughs) I I really don't know. I don't think that far ahead, guys. It's like a stocking stuffer. This is the stocking stuffer Yeah, these are the stocking stuffer. Next episode is the Christmas present. Is the big Christmas present, because the next episode is seasoned finale so be sure to uh keep your subscription Dude. buttons checked uh let's see this week i am drinking open 14 mm-hmm. highland scotch i think I've, i'm i'm literally sure at this point i think i'm definitely rehashing every scotch that i've pretty much drank on the show <laughs> unless i go it's get like new the bottles. Of... so yeah open 14 nice scotch highland grassy light nice. very good it's a you know what it's a good winter scotch Huh? Because because it's because very it, it warm. It's not. Okay. It's I and I, I say it because it's not like it's a okay. minty is not the word, but minty is what it makes me think of. Like when you have something refreshing, minty in Got winter, it. it's because yeah. it's so kind of light and um, it doesn't oppress anything. So you can you know have a little bite to eat to go with it or, or whatever. Okay. All right. Um, I, know I don't know. I could be also just totally trying to make that up to make it sound like I've got a theme <laughs> going here. The fact of the matter is, I'm just drinking some scotch, uh, and we're gonna we're gonna talk about a few things. <laughs> I've got a Tangeray and tonic here. Uh, it's a, I mean, the bottle looks like you know holly berries because um, it's green and with a red accent. But uh, this is just like a, a family drink. We always used to have this around the holidays, and everybody. When my great aunt passed away, her. <laughs> At the wake, it was like a table, and it says, Luella's dying wish was for you to have a gin and tonic. <laughs> and uh, I, I don't know if, uh, if, if cocktails can be a family heirloom, but I guess you're going to give it a shot, so good luck. Yeah. <laughs> I, I like it. It's, you know, it has a tangerate. It's 
has like a real pine kind of flavor to it from all the um juniper berries yeah that's that's what i and, don't like about it yeah well so i mean having a bite like i have drank it straight before and like that's that's an experience but um but the tonic really balances it out and when you add like just a little bit of lime to it it really smooths it out and it's like refreshing it's kind of like what you're saying about the open 14 like it's refreshing but not like like it doesn't linger yeah it's just it's smooth yeah and, and the reality is one of the things I one of the reasons I really like Oban as far as scotch goes mm-hmm. is it's honestly a great anytime scotch. Like it's not a winter mm-hmm. scotch. It's just an anytime scotch. It's also one I tend to recommend to folks. Like if anybody's listening and, and has finally decided, you know what, Michael, you've sold me. I want to find I, <laughs> now after three years of listening to your sultry voice, I want to go try <laughs> some scotch. Oban is one of the scotches I tend to recommend to folks because it is a very accessible scotch like it's not mm-hmm. it doesn't have that crazy burn it doesn't have a strong flavor um which is mm-hmm. to say it's very unoffensive so it's not going right. to like push you one way or the other really and it will sort of open that door in terms of being like if you like this or at least don't hate it then i can work with that and then we can find something then better or bigger that goes off of that if you taste that and you're like nope don't like it i'm gonna have a hard time probably finding something you do like though i generally say i can always find a scotch for somebody because it's it's like beer mm-hmm. beer has such a diversity of flavor that mm-hmm. you're gonna find one out there that you know even if you're not a, a what you would call a beer drinker you'll find one that you'd be like yeah i can drink that that's not a big deal yeah so I, I think of scotch very much in those terms. Anyway, didn't know about that. For I, I should start that podcast. That's the podcast I should be producing. <laughs> um, let's see. Getting started, I thought we could dive into this topic of accessibility with a look at uh, at a game rather than a website, um, which I know is maybe weird, but that's the thing about accessibility is the principles cross disciplines. Now, this is probably all thanks to all the COVID isolation stuff or what have you, but you know th- this particular game has been absolutely sweeping the nation the past few months, in particular because I think the social component is the thing that people find most engaging right now. The game is Among Us. Have you had a chance to play this thing yet? This COVID lockdown Among Us, what game? No, the the game is Among Us. Okay, I get that it's around, but what game is it? Yeah, it's called Among Us. They they named it Among Us. Oh, I've uh, I've paid for it twice. I have not played it though. My my kids play it. In all fairness, it's a cheap game. So, oh, it's like five dollars. Yeah. yeah. So have you? But you haven't played it though. You haven't like sat down and and gotten into it or watched some videos on it. I, I no, not yet. Like I'm familiar with the premise. Like I've played Defector games before. Yeah, and, yeah. And very um, similar to like a werewolf yeah. or you know things yeah. like that. Uh, Secret, Hitler Secret Hitler is is one yeah. that some people are familiar with. So there's an article over at uh, uxdesign.cc um, that'll be in the mm-hmm. show notes. The, the UX of Among Us, the importance of colorblind friendly design. One of the gimmicks of the game, everybody is a little meeple, basically, a, you know, yeah. a, a human representative in a colored spacesuit. <laughs> no, that's, that's it's accurate. They look like meeples. Yeah, they're little meeples. Um, yeah. Each person has a different color, though. So everybody mm-hmm. selects a unique color, and you can do other stuff like have, you know, accoutrement. You can have a hat, suit, you know, mm-hmm. little things, a knife in your head. There's uh, 14, 14 colors even, right? Oh, is there that many? Yeah. 
Um, That's what it looks like. I hadn't counted. But you go through and you pick. And, and so what happens is you run around, you do your tasks, and then somebody or multiple somebodies are trying to kill people on the ship and they are faking their tasks. When somebody finds a dead body, they hit a button. They say, I found somebody in some place. I didn't do it. Mm-hmm. And then everybody tries to figure out who killed them. A lot of the conversation around this tends to center on color mm-hmm. because the screen that comes up will show it does show names, but then it orange all, is sus. Yeah, you, this is where this right. idea of yeah, orange is sus. You know, yeah. this phrase that you may have seen floating around in memes or things like that, because color tends to be a very quick and easy identifier, especially when things are moving quickly. And if you see somebody like running away in the corner of the screen. You might not mm-hmm. see their name placard as they're running away, but you might remember it was purple. And right. so that makes it, and, and like if the lights are out, for instance, you know, you may only see a foot or something like that running by. Colorblindness as a thing affects about one in 10 men, give or take. You're looking at 300 million people worldwide have some form of colorblindness. I, I think it's like, it's like 12% of men get it or something like that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's right. Yeah, it's, it's right in that one in ten yeah. kind of area. Yeah, it's pretty common. So, this article dives in though to this, and one of the things I really liked about it was that they went through and they took a snapshot of like all of the meeples in different colors, and then ran mm-hmm. them through different colorblind filters, so you could see how different people would view these little uh, these these avatars, and how you could mistake them for each other because of the color right. overlap that you start to see. And that's one of those things, that, especially if you aren't, I'm not colorblind, so I, I take it for granted being able to mm-hmm. distinguish those colors. And some of them are pretty freaking gnarly. <laughs> There's a little, that, uh, is it uh, deuteronomia? Um, I, I should have had this up before I even said the word, but. <laughs> Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy. Hold on. I'm scrolling, I'm scrolling, I'm scrolling. I'm going to find it. Uh, pro, proton, protonopia. Boy, mm-hmm. these are hard. Or no, no, uh, yeah, no, I was right. De- deuteronopia. Mm-hmm. That's the one. That's that's the worst one. So brown, red, and green all look the same. Orange, yellow, and lime all look the same. Purple and blue look the same. White and cyan look the same. Black's like the only one that stands apart <laughs> from from all the other <laughs> ones. So... This it's it's great. Go look at this and kind of get a feel for it. And then it, like I say, go through and look. They show all of the other ones and how real common blue and purple tend to blend together. The visualization is great. Um, they they show the like you know the initial one of what it looks like to a, a color sighted person. Yeah, honestly, um, it's then one of like the better two, representations yeah. I think I've seen. Two, three, four, five, six. Yeah, there's six different versions that they show, including one that is uh, completely colorblind, monochromacy. monochromacy, All these words are hard. Yeah. (laughs) So where this falls on the scale of web work is you want to look at uh, Mm -hmm. WCAG 2.2. It's under uh, 141, section 141. Okay. This is where they talk about use of color. So the the rule, it's a level A compliance Mm -hmm. checkpoint. Color is not used as the only visual means of conveying information, indicating an action, prompting response, or distinguishing a visual element. So, Could you clarify what level A means? So level A is the, the lowest level of accessibility compliance. It's like the easiest okay. stuff that you need to deal with. The low-hanging fruit. 
Right. And so the mm -hmm. compliance ranges from A to AAA. Why it's not Got it. one, two, three, I don't know. <laughs> Why it's not ABC, I don't know. A, AA, AAA. Right. So the, the issue, the challenge being here, because color is so important to the game, you are basically right. conveying a very important piece of information only visually. Right. The article gets into some ways, because now, just to be clear, uh, the developers of the game are releasing a colorblind uh, setting for the game that you can go into okay. that will separate those apart. I don't know what it looks like or, or what they plan to do exactly, but they have said they are developing, you know, with the explosion of popularity of the game, it has come up. We've talked about this. Sometimes you don't realize, and no pun intended, you don't realize you have a blind spot until somebody says, <laughs> hey, you know, right. what about us? That's just one of those things if you don't learn about it or don't put time into it until it's raised. But the article suggested some other, again, because you don't want to use just color, you could do things like adding iconography to go along with it. Mm -hmm. So like a star next to somebody, a, you know, a shield yeah. next to somebody, um, and or, you know, a cat and a dog. You know, something something that can be displayed with the character that is visually distinct without being colorized. Mm -hmm. Or the other one was note the color in the name badges. So if I say my right. name is Michael and I picked green next to my name, it says in parentheses green. There was that, that's because there was one they showed a screenshot from the game where each of the different people named their so if they were the blue person, then their name was they would make their name orange and the red person would be purple and then the green person would be gray or yeah. whatever. Everybody would have the wrong color name. Everybody's trying to find ways to, you know, make the game fun. And so right. they're, they're coming up. Another one is pronouns. So everybody, mm -hmm. they set their name to be a pronoun so that in the, the discussion room, it, gets, it sounds yeah. like cavemen talking at each other. It's hilarious. There's some videos on YouTube. It is hilarious. It sounds like who's on first. Yeah. Oh, it's, <laughs> it's wild. Yeah. The thing is, the iconography, I think, is probably the best approach. The adding to the name badge doesn't help you when you only see a tiny piece of somebody. Whereas I think you could always have an icon floating in a, you know, in the visible space, so to speak. Mm -hmm. So this is just a, a good, I think, use case for yeah. but how color theory factors into the work we do. We, we use on the diaper face project. Um, I'd written a, like a module in it that was for, it's called a UI helper, and it was basically just methods that would kind of preform different UI form controls, like links or buttons. And there was some stuff written in the style guide about how, uh, like, what our standards were as far as like what colors to use for different buttons. And one of the things I, I wrote in there was that we had if you, you never you could never have a button that was only a color or only a word or like, like it had to be at least a color and an icon or a word and an icon or a word and a color, like some combination, two out of three. Right. I, I think that that made that be like a better product overall because of that. One real world example that makes me think of that comes up a lot in accessibility. Um, but the reason that it kind of works the way it does is mm -hmm. stoplights. Oh Yeah. So this idea of like red, yellow, green stoplights is actually kind of problematic because of, right. of colorblindness. But <laughs> right. strictly speaking, color is not the only thing conveying meaning there. Position, right. Position is too. also conveying yeah. meaning. So it's 
there is like there are ways to think about this in terms of you don't have to label everything. It's not necessarily right. that you know that basic. You can come up with other ways to convey meaning that can supplement that to make sure you are covering those bases. It's kind of like two-factor authentication, except that authentication it's communication. So like with stoplights, you have color, but you also have position. So as long as the position position or color are present and they're consistent, then it works. Yeah. I've been playing it at work, so we've we've been having once a week we're having an Among Us night with coworkers, and that's that has been quite fun. I have to admit, to, you can go to my go find my Facebook and stalk me there, and I've got a couple of videos up on uh, that I stream. Oh, check that out. Okay, the next number two, second part, middle segment of today's episode, I wanted to talk about, I, I labeled it when we came in as CSS math. Um, mm-hmm. There's a lot of things you can do in CSS now that are math related. Um, when CSS first came out, we didn't have that. Uh, you just declared stuff. I want my font size to be 16 pixels, and that's what you get. And... In, like, I want to say it was 2012, we finally Mm -hmm. got this little miracle function as part of the CSS spec called calc. And that let us Mm -hmm. do things like start to do math dynamically inside of CSS. So, like, a a good example would be, okay, I've got a container, and I need to have width on this container, but I don't want Mm -hmm. it to be a fixed width. But I also need it to be more particular than just saying something like 50%, let's say. So I could say calc and then put in 50% and say, I need this to be 50%, but minus 200 pixels. And okay. so right. The, right. the browser would then do that math to say, okay, we're going to figure out. So your viewport is uh, 1920 pixels wide. So that means mm-hmm. your your 50% of that is going to be 960 pixels, and then we're going to subtract 200 pixels from that. So this container is 760 pixels wide now. I always forget that calc exists, but it's such a cool feature. It's What makes it really cool is you can mix units. Yeah, that's that's the cool part. <laughs> you, can, you can combine, like, in, so in the example I just did, percentages with fixed pixels. You can do it with mm-hmm. REMs and M's. Um, so this ability to blend is really useful and, and is where you start to get into some really powerful stuff. Now we've gone a step further building on that, and that's where this math thing comes in. So the, the CSS math we're talking about are three functions that are uh, freshly supported. So Firefox um, just adopted, I think it was Clamp was the last one that had to adopt which as of mm-hmm. April of this year, 2020, um, is now fully supported. So you have should have no fear of using any of these in any mainline uh, browser. Sure, there are some fringe browsers or like mobile browsers that don't support these, but probably talking less than half a percent of your traffic. Um, sure. The functions are min, max, and clamp. Okay. So the there's a great article from uh, Unicravitz over at the Google Web Dev blog. Um, so we'll have that linked uh, in the show notes as well as a couple others and a YouTube video that explains this. One of the 
thing that I, and I need to say this. This is a hard concept, I think, to tackle mm-hmm. over audio in podcast format because the visual. And if you go to Yuna's uh, post, he's got animations uh, mm-hmm. on the page that show like what going on when you make a container bigger or smaller based on these that really helps sort of explain the value of these i think but we're gonna do our best here to kind of dig into this and and explain it um so min and max do basically what you might think min says here's the minimum value max says here's the maximum value um these can be explicit or they can be proportional it can be a list of values. It can be a couple values. So example, if you have a, an element that you need to set the width on and you are afraid of it getting too narrow for some reason, like you've got some kind of text mm-hmm. in it or something like that. And so you want to say, you know what, we need to sort of, we need to set this, you know, we don't want it to get too big. Okay. 50%. Cool. 50, we'll do 50%. But on a big monitor, now you've got like one line of text stretching across the thing because of that. Right. So what min lets you do is say, we want it to be the minimum value of. Yeah. 200 pixels or 50%. That's what's confusing. Like I'm looking at the animations right now and I'm watching the CSS min one. And so what, what she's done is uh, she has on the screen, it says width min 50% comma 400 pixels. And then it shows the square that that's being applied to. And as the viewport of this window is being shrunk, it shows the actual width of the box that's being like modified. And um, I, I, I totally get it. Like I look at it and I'm like, oh, it's the min, like, like we do in programming. But the, like the inferential, what I'm expecting from it is like backwards. <laughs> like it gets, it gets, it gets bigger when it expands and then it gets smaller when you contract it. And like I said, really need the visual yeah. reference to fully, I think. Yeah. Yeah. It, uh, you gotta, you gotta look at it, but I, yeah. I think where it gets uh, easier to, and I don't think any of the examples that are in that particular article. Well, no, oh no, that's clamp. Yeah. Hers don't have it, but there are some other, I think in the other articles I'll link to that do like her example is min 50%, 400 pixels. So what it's doing is it's saying, give me the smaller of those two values. So if 50% of your 900 pixel viewport is 450 pixels, then 50% is not smaller than 400, so use 400. If you collapse down to 500 pixels, 50% is 250, so 250 is then smaller than 400. Where this starts to get really gnarly is you can have more than two values in there. You could put three or four. Yeah, it takes n arguments. It's, yeah, it, it takes a list yeah. of arguments. So you can begin to say, you know what, depending on how I want it to – give me give me the smaller of – and it, it doesn't mm-hmm. – I, I think generally people will use two arguments in it. But you could yeah. use different um, – different proportional units because again you can mix Mm -hmm. units in all of these so you could say 50 percent or 400 pixels or 60 vw uh viewport Mm -hmm. width um so that's that's another one viewport width is sort of like a rem so to speak like it's the baseline so 
whereas 50% is 50% of your parent container, viewport widths are based on the viewport width, regardless of what your right. container is or, or something like that. So it will then right. start to cycle through all of your list and, and it'll calculate out at this moment in time, how, how physically wide is 10 viewport or 60 viewport widths, whatever I said, mm -hmm. you know, how physically wide is that? Is that smaller than 50%? Is it smaller than 400 pixels? Um, yeah. So that's where those things get kind of gnarly. Now, getting into that, it would take some testing and stuff, depending on whatever it is you're building, but it gives you a lot of power and control. And Max is the same. Max is just the inverse of that. It's just taking right. the biggest of whatever you're saying. So it's trying to maximize. This is almost pedantic for me to explain, but it's trying to maximize, you know, the amount of space it's using. So I said the power in this is to mix units. Um, one of the cool examples I saw, um, there's a unit. Uh, Aaron, have you ever used CH units? Uh, no. They're, what is that? They're character width units. Um, okay. Wait, how is that different than than an M or? Um, well, that's not a fair width? question. Well, M. So M's are based off of uh, the width of an M the, letter. Yeah. Well, and and remember, yeah. they're not the width, the height. Oh, when, what? When you set like a font size, you're setting the height, not the width. So when I say like a base font size is 16 pixels, I'm saying. Oh, no, no. But I mean, I mean, like one M is like the width of the letter. M. Oh, you're yeah. You're talking literal, literal M, not like yeah. M unit. Um, yeah. So very similar. So if you're if you follow the standard that like um, a line of text should never be more than 75 characters, you can actually mm -hmm. use 75 CH as a unit of measure in one of these functions. Oh, okay. So, but in that case though, because M is the widest letter, 75, if you wrote mm, and it was 75 M's wide, that's going to end up being wider in pixels than if it was 75 I's like, I, yeah, I, I don't know what the baseline is of like, it, actually, if a ch unit is using like the m length i don't i don't know that that's okay. a fact um i don't know what the actual base is um i mean is it like counting the characters here you go it's relative to the width of the zero that's what a ch is oh okay all right um, so like the average width of a character quick, a quick google on that boy so that gives you an idea of of that you've also got an I, I don't even know if some of like EX, I don't know if EX is technically supported anymore. Mm -hmm. You can do VH units. Again, mm -hmm. eh, height is not something we deal with nearly as much as width VW units. Right. Um, but using CH, you can do things like try to make sure a box is ne never gets narrower than the optimal width for a string of characters, right? So for readability purposes. Right. So you can say, it's like, 45 is like the absolute minimum, 75 is the ideal. So you can use that mm -hmm. to say, okay, you know what? On a mobile device, start to scale down, but never let it get narrower than 45 characters. Right. Okay, anyway, I want... That sounds like... The, well, that sounds like what the next function is, though. Right, right, right. So that gets us into this Clamp. this other super cool thing. Yeah. Clamp. This is neat. I'm watching the animation for it right now. It's really, it's really entertaining. Clamp <laughs> is fun. So... Clamp is sort of a marrying of min and max. 
Um, it takes a minimum, a maximum, and then an ideal is the way it's yeah. sort of phrased. Uh, so the example she that she has here is clamp um, 350px, comma 50%, comma 500 pixels. And so the animation is going, it starts out wide and the element is, the box is 500 pixels wide. And then as she narrows it down, it scales down using the 50% number until it gets down to 350 pixels. And then it locks in at that, like it clamps to 350. Yeah. Now, if you've ever used min width and max width, that mm-hmm. probably sounds familiar. You could set yeah. a width, a min width, and a max width. What clamp lets you do is just say in one line of CSS, width, and then clamp it. And you're, it's like putting a clamp on something. You're saying, you know what? You can't be wider than this or narrower than this, and you can be anything in between them. Um, and the clamp function then lets you declare in one line of CSS instead of three. Where this gets interesting, she's her example is on a container, which I think is incredibly useful. The one that a lot of people started talking about was um, what we call fluid typography. Is this a, a phrase you've heard? Mm-hmm. Um, elastic font. I I learned it as elastic font um, a few years back. There's this sort of holy grail of responsiveness in web design, at least. I think there is. I, I don't know if anybody agrees with me on that. I say that like like there's some understood holy grail in this. There, no, that's not true. But this idea of changing the font size of something dynamically in scale. So as you shrink your browser down, the text size shrinks down with it, as opposed huh. to like a media query. So at, right. with a media query, you would say, well you know, on a big screen, make it 64 pixels um, or, or, you know, four, make it four rems or something like that. And then at, you know, 960 pixels, cut it down to 50 pixels. And then on, you know, small devices, make it 30 pixels. The problem with that is you get jumping. Yes, right, yeah. responsive, but in between those breakpoints, you are stuck. Yeah, you are completely stuck with whatever font size has been picked. Um, and most any anyone who has played with responsive design enough knows every content creator on the planet is going to come up with a string that is either too long or too short for any given font size at some width. <laughs> You're going to have a long blog post title that is too big and as a result wraps to four lines because they right, didn't know. Right. So the the trick was originally, and, and the way we learned to do this, we had like a SAS mix in, in, in our stack that we used for it for a long time that used mm-hmm. the calc function, and it used this process of blending. We said earlier, you can combine viewport widths with M's, with percentages, with pixels. And so you used this trick um, of the math and you plugged in what you wanted your min and max to be, and it had this whole equation that would calculate your font size dynamically. I explain it that way because I genuinely don't understand the math that went into it. It was somebody else's equation. We just borrowed it. Um, yeah. and, and that's how we did it. But it gave us that effect. So you got this really nice sort of sexy scale as your screen got smaller. It's, the font just it's really smaller. cool. <laughs> Um, she does have a section on fluid typography in this uh, okay. in this article. And so you, so you see where it says, I am fluid typography? Yes. So 
that's that's a really good example of how she's using that to make that text Ooh. bigger and smaller. So as the container changes, here's the thing, and here's why this matters and why I think why I use that phrase of like it's kind of the holy grail of responsive design because when we when we talk about responsive design as a designer, when you work with a UI uh, designer, when you work with uh, a graphic designer and, and you're dealing with design systems and pattern libraries, what frequently happens is you design breakpoints. You don't design yeah. in between the breakpoints. Um, you know, that interaction, that's where interaction design starts to factor into this conversation really heavily because it can be... You know, the tools themselves don't just they just don't necessarily lend to showing you what happens in between two states of something. Um, you have to articulate all of this, you know, in extra steps. So we tend to not do it. And using functionality like clamping on a font size lets us start to get there or on containers or anything else. We can start to mm -hmm. say it's almost like a cheap animation in a way, like a cheap CSS animation. Yeah. That, yeah. that you can say, you know what, in between the big size and the small size can actually make this kind of rubber band a little bit um, yeah. as opposed to just snapping. Now, there is a caveat, and I know uh, Yuna's article says it, and I think the other two also have it in there, which is you can, as sort of an accident, make font too small for accessibility purposes. Um, so you do need to make sure, like, whatever clamping you're doing that it mm -hmm. is uh, respecting like minimum font sizes and things like that, that you're not letting it be purely proportional because it can get very, you know, very, you can make font very tiny doing that. So neat. And I mean, let's just face it. It's a whole lot sexier to see a site. Like if you need to scale it down for something and you do, and like everything is moving and adjusting with you in real time, as opposed to just like trying to figure out, okay, I'm making the smaller. Is it going to, pop down at some point it it's it is a micro interaction in its own way because it's yeah. giving you immediate feedback you're resizing something and it's immediately telling you i can do this so this is cool to me um and i already have some plans to implement all three of these functions um also yeah. fun fact if you want to get super crazy these aren't properties these are functions as mm -hmm. a result, you can combine them. Oh, yeah, that's right. It says, uh, where was it? Anywhere you use uh, length, frequency, angle, time, percentage, number, or integer, you can use these functions. Yeah, you can mix and match this for any of those units. And you can also combine them in their own crazy ways. Because we're, what we're talking about here are functions that just return numbers. So anywhere you need that number... Um, whether, you know, it was any of the things you listed or, you know, just something, um, like any normal width or, or, or sizing or something like that. Or if you want to get super out there and think about this in really weird ways, you can literally combine them together. So you could clamp something, but then use the min and max functions also inside the <laughs> clamp function. You know, you're just combining your math functions at that point. So this, we were talking about this before the show started on something that we, I think we're going to bring into season four. Um, so I'm not going to like give that away yet, but there is a certain wizardry that comes with people who are phenomenal at CSS and can grok, you know, the complexity of the math that goes into things 
especially when you start talking about keyframing and, and things like that. Like if you the the kind of sort of sweet elegance you could bring to a responsive design and the nuance you could get out of it and squeeze out of it mm-hmm. by having variable minimums and maximums yeah. and clamps and things, that could be wild. And it's so I would just, I would yeah. love to see <laughs> I'm, I'm having trouble designs. like envisioning all the ways this could be done, but yeah, that's pretty amazing. It's yeah, it, it's gnarly, and I know I would take one look at it and be like, I can't tell you at any given point what number it's generating, but there are people who can see who can read that matrix. Anyway, check those out. Um, we'll have like I say, there's like three or four articles on these things. Um, there's a YouTube video we'll have in the show notes as well that demonstrates it. Let us know if you're using them um, or any creative ways that yeah. you can come up with to to share this with the world. Okay, so finally, we have one more CSS trick for you. Not CSS tricks, because that is... Chris Coyer, who is much better at us at everything, so we'll leave him to that. But this is a trick that is for CSS. This um, deals with the prefer, prefers reduced data um, flag. Now, this is similar in form if you've heard of prefers reduced motion or prefers color scheme. Um, I don't know, Aaron, have you worked with either of those like for any accessibility type stuff or anything? Um, No. I, I, I'll i be honest, the accessibility stuff that I do is typically, like, very, like, UI front-end kind of stuff. Sure, sure. Um, I haven't got, I haven't been keeping abreast on, like, all of the new things and hotness. Yeah. And these come because they're set, like, if you use preferred reduced motion, um, that's a setting in your browser, or not your browser, your operating system's accessibility functions. So, like, in Windows, you set that flag, or in mm-hmm. Mac OS, you set that flag. Um, and so these are things that users would say like, Hey, I'm, my system is set up because I can't handle all this motion. Um, you know, it causes me seizures or, or problems or mm-hmm. things like that, um, or cognition issues. So you can set that flag and then the browser itself reads that off the system. So it knows how to apply things. There's an article over at the polypane. That's a hard word to say at this point. <laughs> Thank you, Oban polypane.app blog um and there's again we'll have a couple more on top of this um that that uh, demonstrate this in some other ways this flag i want to start off whereas when we talked about min max and clamp i said hey you can go out and use them all now you can't use prefers reduced data at all okay there's literally no support for it yet is it Um, still in like the rfc stage like we're still shopping it around well, the spec, I think, is baked. It's just that none of the browsers have added support for it yet. Like, it just hasn't been put in. Now, there is a similar feature that is out in the wild, which is the save data header. Okay. It, it works a little differently because it's like literally an HTTP header that you can send in the browser to a server to say, you know, I, I want to save data on this. The diff- the big difference is the save data header is more useful for like JavaScript or server side stuff. So you tell the server, hey, I want 
something for low bandwidth, send me back something lightweight. Whereas prefers reduced data is a CSS feature. So it's, you know, something that yeah. you, you deploy within your, uh, your media queries or things like that. Similar effects. The whole idea is let's address performance. Now, here I am saying we have this feature you can't use. It's not supported. So why are we even going to bother talking about it? A, I think it's always good to be looking ahead. It's good to know the features that are coming down the pipe because this will be supported. It will end up in browsers. Mm -hmm. um, I think Firefox does have an experimental flag that you can uh, check to enable it now, but it's just not, uh, it's not me. It's in the nightlies or whatever. This, this feels like it's, it's prefers reduced data. And I, I had to skim the article to really understand what they're talking about. But basically it's like, give me the version of this website that would be suitable for 1990s internet. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know that it's necessarily that brutalist, but it, it definitely, we, we talked about this in episode 68. We talked all about performance, website performance mm. and the importance of it. The reality is, and, and I love to rub in people's noses, I have this, I'm sitting here in, in Kansas nowhere, mm -hmm. and yet I've got with your fiber gigabit fiber. <laughs> I, I am living the sweet life with, with, my, with giant pipes that are wide open, mm -hmm. um, and not everybody is that fortunate. My mm -hmm. father, who lives an hour away from me, just moved out into the literal middle of nowhere, and it was a nightmare trying to get him not just internet, but cell service of any kind. And he's got wireless internet out there. And let me tell you, while it's more than good enough for anything he needs, boy, is it bad. Mm -hmm. And it's data capped. That's the, the bigger thing, I think, uh, that starts to come out of this is data caps are where you, I think, see this more than strictly bandwidth. So... I, I actually envision a world where mobile browsers, by default, mm -hmm. once this is built into mobile browsers, I could see this being enabled yeah. by default. I could see that too. I, I like the idea that it gives you, you know, some sometimes, you know, like I want to, I really want to just embrace the full website, like, you know, the whole thing. But other times I'm like, I just really, all I want is this recipe for whatever kind of stew you have here. That's it. That's all the, all I want. I don't want anything else. I don't want your background story or whatever just give me the recipe please so in those times like i don't need high-res photos i don't need i don't want like all the ad space and everything and i don't need all this extra stuff so i i like the idea of having a way to indicate the disposition of like what you're looking for yeah but the data cap thing though that that's that's an easy one to overlook the importance of for those of us that live here in the u.s because you know if you live in like another country, especially in like a remote area where maybe they don't have the infrastructure that we have, data caps are going to be pretty brutal. So will the bandwidth, and that would be awesome to have that as a possibility. Yeah, it's it is something too that I I one reason I talk about like hey I have fiber it's awesome I love it. I actually do have a reason for kind of bringing that up in conversations because it's a reminder to myself that everybody else doesn't have that. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it's, I'm not trying to rub it in people's noses or anything like that. It's, it's more about me making sure I'm keeping myself honest about not, you know, or always being thinking about how fortunate I am that I have these great speeds and, and uncapped bandwidth and all that. And I have to design 
to something much less than that. I have to build to something much less than that. One of the things that I think makes this really worth talking about as a feature that isn't deployed, but it is something that is in the CSS spec and will be eventually, this is the perfect opportunity to start learning about feature queries. Mm, yeah, yeah. You're, have you used a feature query? I have. I um, Not extensively, but I have used them a few times. Yeah. You've definitely used media queries. Right, yeah. So in, in CSS, if you're not... You, most people, if you're doing CSS, you probably have some familiarity with media queries. You're at least aware that they exist, most likely. Media query lets you say, depending on a couple conditions of either uh, either the media type or the width of something, min, min width, max width, things like that, you can say at small screen... So this gets to that min max clamp stuff too, right? At a small screen, snap to this size. At a big screen, snap it to, you know, snap my columns. You know, we have these grid layouts, right? Well, I want it to be six columns wide when it's mm -hmm. large, and we're going to make it two columns wide when it's small. So we make media queries to do that. Right. Feature queries are semantically structured the exact same. What they let you do, though, is they let you ask the browser, hey, is this CSS thing real? Mm -hmm. or put put another way it's a way of asking the browser can you do this do you yeah. know how to do this can you do this yeah. so you just say at supports mm -hmm. and you give it a uh, a property and then a value you have to put a value with it which i do think is a little weird but whatever um so you would say something like at supports refers reduced data reduced and it doesn't you're not actually saying that it has to be reduced you're mm -hmm. just saying, like, if I were to set something for as reduce data, reduce, is that a thing? Does that, you know, is that something you understand? Yeah. What that can let you do now is start thinking about all of the things that you want to, you know, sort of upsample, so to speak. So um, you might say, if you support prefers reduced data, then here's my media query for it that loads. And the example you'll see in the Polypane article is all of my web fonts. So we'll declare all the font faces inside a media query um, mm -hmm. that checks for prefers reduced data if it's supported. And if, uh, if you set up your font family, right, you know how you give font families a list, you know, a comma separated list of fall throughs. So if your particular font family doesn't load because it's in that media query, then it can fail over to, you know, Arial. Right. Oh yeah. That's a great example. Two, two features that I, I saw in the article that are, look really cool. Uh, one of them is the creation of hooks to identify the connection type. So it's like slow 2g or 2g or 3g. And, and just to be, and, just to be clear on that, um, yeah. what Aaron's talking about is in JavaScript, you can also test for these oh, yeah. things, not just CSS. Sorry. Yes. This is in JavaScript. Yeah. They're, they're checking like the navigator properties of the connection type. And then they're using that to kind of decide what kind of disposition the request should have when it's loading the page. And the other one that is really cool is, uh, not auto loading data for infinite scrolling, scrolling pages. I kind of hate infinite scroll sometimes like in, in yeah. when you're doom scrolling, like in an app or something, it makes sense. But on a website, especially if you put anything in the footer of your website, you do not want to infinitely scroll. <laughs> yeah. 
so that they make it where it doesn't automatically infinitely scroll if you have like you know reduced data that's awesome that's really great my favorite was in the html um, if you've used the picture element, if you're familiar with uh, using that in HTML5, a picture element lets you load in a source set. And so mm -hmm. you can say, here's a picture, here's oh, several yeah. versions of it, and like the right. default version that's just a normal image tag. But what you do is you apply a media, uh, there's a media attribute on each one that takes a media, mm -hmm. a literal media query, just like you would write in CSS. And so same thing there if you wanted to say you know what for uh you know for low bandwidth like this, let's say this is just a decorative image um header graphic mm -hmm. right a header banner like a big photo for like a a big tall uh, high res photo image right photo image what am, what am i saying my oven takes my words and bends them around <laughs> but you can say you know what this is the imagery we use in the header for people who don't care about their bandwidth, it's high res, it's, you know, pixel dense, it's double, you know, it's double res for MacBooks and all of this. But then you can have maybe just a small graphic when it prefers reduced data, reduced. That's only three kilobytes instead of eight megs, mm -hmm. you know, um, or none at all. You could say, you know what, here, let's yeah. just throw a little transparent GIF in there. And that'll be what loads if it prefers reduced data. It's like two bytes. So they're, they're safe and we've protected their connection. That's one use of it that I think is cool to literally control. You know, like you were saying, let's show them the 1997 website. Let's forego all of this, you know, high-res imagery and all of this stuff and cut some of that out when people, you know, all this decorative imagery, right? It's beautiful. Yeah. Designers love it. It sells things. But. If the user is literally telling you, hey, I care about my connection, I need to throttle stuff, mm -hmm. don't send me things that aren't valuable, um, you can do, you can take steps to ensure that you're honoring that. I think it's super cool. I think it's a, a neat way to go about it. And honestly, I, I'm excited to implement it in some of my stuff because I think it's fun to figure out ways to to scale stuff back like that. It's kind of a progressive enhancement, but not. <laughs> you're, you're trying to make it good low good high like regressive enhancement yeah prog progressive enhancement <laughs> i don't know i i just like i like the idea and this is kind of what we had a little bit with source sets that you can have like higher quality images if the user wants it if the user wants that kind of experience and lower quality images if they don't and the ultimate goal is to serve content effectively and having that flexibility is yeah, really serving great. content effectively I, I like that as kind of do, yeah. doing and doing it right for the user anytime a user is telling you this is how i want it you should be honoring that mm -hmm. you know if, if a user in their browser is scaling things up to 300 percent so they can see stuff you shouldn't be doing things in your css or javascript to break that experience these are little it's it's little stuff but you have to care about those users yeah and here's the classic model of that right if i'm blocking ads and you're doing shit to force <laughs> ads around that look you know the the interstitials the hey would we, our site is ad supported and 
would you uh, yeah. would you please add us to your uh, your white list on that? Let me tell you something. If you go to the <laughs> Drunken UX site, you will never ever see one of those. We do have some sidebar yeah. ads on on some of our on show notes areas. If you use an ad blocker, more power to you. You shouldn't see them. If you do, let me know. <laughs> you will never see us uh, begging you to to go around that because that's not what you want. By installing the ad blocker, right. you've already told us what you want, and it's it's that kind of thinking. And I just love. I think at the end of this, the big takeaway that I, I want you to think about is it's a great opportunity to try feature queries because feature queries are the best way possible to begin future-proofing your code now. So, you know, right now we're talking about prefers reduced data. In another year, there will be new features that are coming out that will be supported in some browsers, not supported in others. But you could go ahead and write the code for those, wrap it mm -hmm. in the feature query, and then as browsers add support for those things, they just start working out of the blue. And then yeah. when you're comfortable, you could take the feature query off. Um, and just let it be there. But it's it's a really powerful feature that lets you get ahead of the game. I like the I, the thing that you were just talking about with just trust the user to tell you what they want and stop trying to force them to do what they don't want to do. And this, this goes back to that a little bit of that Hostile Patterns episode we did with Ron Brunson a while back. Don't make the user give you, give you data that they don't want yeah. to just because you want it. I, I would absolutely say if if once prefers reduced data becomes fully supported in browsers. If you are designing sites that do not utilize that feature and you're putting, mm -hmm. and I think probably one of the best use cases of this is going to be like people who use big fancy photo images in, in headers and stuff because they tend to be big. Yeah. If you aren't taking the time to do that, if you are forcing users to download everything on your page, I'm going to consider it a hostile design. Because yeah. you're not taking the time to consider that implication. And usually if you're doing that, you probably are making them download a lot of other stuff. What I love, and we talked about this also in episode 68, is lazy loading. Mm -hmm. One reason why I love lazy loading, and you could pair a feature like lazy loading with prefers reduced data. Maybe if, if prefers reduced data is set to no preference... Then you say, you know what? We won't turn on lazy loading. We'll just let everything load as it is. We'll trust that you've got enough bandwidth that it's, you don't think it's a big deal. But if you've set it to reduce, then we enable lazy loading on everything. Like you can start to combine these deals in such a way that you can really leverage and you make your own functionality that much better at that point. Huh. So let us know, uh, will you be thinking about prefers reduced data? Will you do something to uh, try to deploy it soon? Will you use feature queries for whether it's this or anything else? Um, look in, and, and if you're not familiar with feature queries, I will, of course, have a link in the show notes um, to the MDN and stuff for uh, feature queries and how to write them. Um, very cool, very useful type of functionality that a lot of people don't even know exists in CSS. So go check that out. Um, and hey, we got through three episodes or three things. So I'm calling <laughs> that a success. Sit back. We're going to take a break and be right back with you. The Drunken UX podcast is brought to you by our friends at New Cloud. 
Nucloud is an industry-leading interactive map provider who has been building location-based solutions for organizations for a decade. Are you trying to find a simple solution to provide your users with an interactive map of your school, city, or business? Well, Nucloud's interactive map platform gives you the power to make and edit a custom interactive map in just minutes. They have a team of professional cartographers who specialize in map illustrations of many different styles and are ready to design an artistic rendering to fit your exact needs. One map serves all of your users' devices with responsive maps that are designed to scale and blend in seamlessly with your existing website. To request a demonstration or to view their portfolio, visit them online at newcloud.com slash drunkenUX. That's nucloud.com slash drunkenUX. As always, I hope that uh, this was useful. I hope you learned something. Um, I hope this uh, gets you ready for Christmas and, and gets you in the Christmas spirit. I don't know why any of it would, but... I, I thought it would be fun to do the potpourri type uh, approach again. <laughs> Stocking stuffers. <laughs> if you have uh, enjoyed this episode, be sure to find us uh, on Twitter or Facebook. We are at slash drunken UX or on Instagram at slash drunken UX podcast. You can check us out uh, if you want to uh, chat with us on, on Discord. We are at drunkenux.com slash Discord. That uh, gets you right in. Doesn't let us know. I'm going to try to check it every once in a while and just make sure the link still works. Um, Slack used to time out those links and that was super annoying I don't think Discord does ah, now breathe relax we're at the end of 2020 uh, we're getting ready to start 2021 uh, everything's looking up right now get a lot man I, I I tell you like after the 67 months of 2020 like I I would only be a little bit surprised if after December 31st, it was like December 32nd, or like there's some new month that comes after December. Like, what would be after DEC? Uh, if no if DEC, November. Eleven. <laughs> uh, all all I know oh. is I've already sat down and I worked up like not goals, yeah, I saw your not list. resolutions. They're yeah. just yeah, they're things that I'm like, you know what? This is some, this is stuff I want to focus on going into next year. I may not get all of it done in the year. It's some of it's not meant to be done in the course of a year. It's just yeah. stuff that I want to prioritize for myself. And you know what? All, all I want, all I want next year, and I feel like this isn't that ridiculous of a request, but all I want is to be able to decide on any given day how much excitement and terror I want in my day. Like that would be so cool. <laughs> and I realize that, like, I as a white man, especially a white collar white man. Like, I am incredibly privileged to even be able to ask that. But still, like, can we have a break? Like, maybe just, like, one day a week. It's a day off, and, like, everybody just chills, and we're just like, okay, I want to do a roller coaster today. That's how much excitement I want. <laughs> I mean, the the one thing that I'll say, and I uh, referred to it earlier when we were talking about accessibility with Among Us, the thing of me is Santa Claus. I've got a big beard. It's got a plenty of white mm -hmm. in it. I get to bestow gifts upon people. Think of it like that. I bring joy and happiness um, through, hopefully, this podcast to you. And and uh, I I can I can tell you the one thing that will hopefully help you out, and and I'll leave under your tree <laughs> is that I just hope that you keep your personas close and your users closer. Got me. Bye bye. <laughs> bye.